Hello, welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The only Mavericks podcast that has no strong opinions about the number 10 pick. Everybody has really strong, trade it. No, no, don't trade it. No, uh, you know, draft somebody, draft this player. I, I, I'm just over here like, uh, do something good with it. You know, like whatever that is, like, uh, I don't care. Just make this team better than it was. Like, let's calm down here. Okay. Like, like don't don't repeat last year that's 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 my opinion i'm tim cato i write and talk about the mavericks and i've got a at mavs draft uh i can say your full name right that's not a it's not a secret yeah. right okay <laughs> i've got richard stamen um he is at mavs draft on twitter he's someone whose tweets i very much enjoy and i met at the nba combine last week and turns out that he is a uh, delightful in person as well uh very opinionated and smart so um I just realized that very opinionated might not be a compliment. It was meant as a compliment, but I don't know if it had, you tell me, Richard, how was that took received? Is that a compliment? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I appreciate the kind words, by the way. Oh, of course. Of course. So uh, we're here to talk about the, um, you know, what we learned at NBA lottery and, but more specifically, what the hell the Mavericks should do with the number 10 pick, which they are now confirmed to have. You know, whatever lucky charm. You could argue this is the luckiest the Mavericks have ever been in the NBA lottery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole 2019 is still a very, very much a scar on my uh, existence. So it's nice. It, it, it truly, it, we're going to, we're going to get way sidebarred if we get into that. But just to say very briefly that them falling in 2019 really set back some of the natural traditional team building, the slow team building that I've long argued this team, you know, has failed to do. They were really hamstrung, not humstringed. They're hamstrung by that. So um, let's just start, let's just start with the, with the number 10 pick. So, so the Mavericks have it. Um, There has been a lot of discourse on Mavs Twitter. I feel like we're a very Mavs Twitter friendly podcast and you're fully, fully in the Mavs Twitter sphere. You're in my Mavs Twitter list. Um, what do you, what do you think of all of the thoughts that people have had about trading or keeping, or even committing to trading or committing to keeping the pick as we stand here, you know, Monday evening, May 22nd, uh, you know, still a month out from the draft. I think they trade the pick. My hope is the, the, the real question for me is, do they trade the pick for a player or do they move back? And I'm hoping it's moved back. Yeah. I mean, I've reported as much that, you know, and I'm certainly not the only one and, and, you know, Mark Stein has reported it, who is, you know, the number one person you should listen to when it comes to mass reporting. I do expect the pick to be traded. I, I do think, you know, and I wrote about this a little bit on, on uh, the athletic today uh, on Monday morning. So if you're probably listening to this Tuesday, but on, on Monday morning, you know, I wrote about just, it's tricky to, you know, trades are not just something that happens. And I think in a lot of ways, when teams start looking to trade the pick, all these conversations start with Portland at three and what they do. And even beyond that, what the intel of what they're going to do, 
you know, that ramification starts to trickle down into what the Mavericks are actually looking to do, who, you know, the conversations that they're having. Um, it's not as simple as just being like, oh, they're going to trade the pick. There's actually several teams trying to trade down or at least interested, reportedly interested in trying to trade down. And, you know, I think the one tricky thing is that the Mavericks are kind of at the start of a tier. Would you agree with that? You know, where I think that, you know, if, if we're going to tier out the prospects, okay, Victor's one. Um, and I, I think it's safe to say that Scoot Henderson and, and Brandon Miller are kind of in their own in a second tier. Then there's a third tier. And I think that third tier kind of goes four to nine, four to 10, four to 11. And I think the, you're, you're, I, I can't tell if you're shaking your head and weigh in on this. What, what do you think about the third tier? No, it was more, I'm like, God, I, I don't know. Cause every day I go back and forth. I think, I think really it starts at five, like the whole board starts at five. And then I, I think it's almost interchangeable for me until 12. And and that's why I think any order you make it, it can go either way. Do you think, um, so who are the first four? Is it, is it the three that I said? And then you think Amon Thompson is, is pretty locked into Correct. the top four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to talk a little bit, let's stay on the, the trade or, or, or draft or, you know, just kind of the, the dynamics. We're going to get into actual prospects because I think it's important to talk prospects. I, I, I'll talk a little bit about why I think that's important, even if the Mavericks are likely to trade it. Um, would you agree that like being at the start of a tier is probably the least valuable place to be? Absolutely. I, I think it's, it's hard because there's so much pressure. And if you, because you have a few outcomes, right? You could take who you believe in, could be right, could be wrong. You also could trade back to a safer area where there's like three guys you're very high on, and then you have to make the right decision out of that. But the good news is if you miss on that, you still gain something positive. So if you just sit there and then you miss, you've, you just, that's a zero sum, right? Or not zero right. sum. I'm sorry. It's, it's just like, I mean, it's a hundred percent loss. Yeah. Yeah. Zero sum. And hundred percent loss, zero percent win. You got, you got it right. I'm doubting myself. <laughs> Yeah, and it's 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 a tricky spot to be in, you know, for 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 the Mavericks to be, you know, it, it'd be great, and this could happen that a player, you know, coveted in the let's say five to nine range does actually fall to them at ten, and then they got a lot of people calling them and saying we, you know, we want your pick, when you know what they mean is we want this player who has slipped, um, which is good for the Mavericks, but there's no guarantee that one of those players is going to slip. Um, you know, and then at the same time, people around the league are looking at the Mavericks. And if, you know, if they feel really confident that the Mavericks are trying to trade down, you know, are they as incentivized to, you know, provide what the Mavericks are looking for? Um, are they a team that has veterans? Because there are teams that are trying to package multiple picks later in the first round to move up to one. But I think we understand that the Mavericks, you know, they may pick up a later draft pick. I don't think they're trying to get multiple first rounders. I think they're trying to get a veteran. They're trying to move off salary, um, which puts them in a, in a kind of a narrow range where, you know, they have to find the right type of team with the right type of available player, asset, veteran, whatever you want to call it to facilitate this move down. And, you know, that's their job. You know, we, we, we can talk through it a little bit, but it's not, I guess my only point here is that it's not as simple as just saying, well, they're going to trade the pick and wonder who they're going to get you know they're they're you know they're doing all this legwork and you know when i talk to people in chicago at the combine they're telling me you know almost the relief that 
the certainty of the pick was conveyed. Now, now I can actually do start dealing with not a hypothetical could be one, could be two, could be three, could be four, could be 10, could be nothing, you know, and they're mapping out all these hypothetical scenarios. Now they actually finally have number 10 that they can say, okay, this is our pick. And these are, you know, the teams that we think might be interested in it. And we'd be interested in somebody that they'd have available, but it's all hypothetical still for, you know, a month out. So I just, just think it's interesting. And, uh, you know, even if the pick probably does get traded, um, you know, you've really got to go down the list of teams around the NBA and say, who would, you know, not only what veterans might be available on their team that, you know, the Mavericks would want, but is that a team that wants number 10 and in what circumstances would that team want number 10? And I'll shut up now. I've, I've talked a lot. I guess my question to you is like, uh, in your conversations and you're at the combine, just like me and, uh, you know, like how complicated does this stuff really get when it comes to, you know, trying to like just imagine trades that could possibly happen. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of smoke screens that go around for the next month that we'll start hearing about, which like you said, the Intel on this stuff matters because you have to, as GM director of scouting, whatever title you are in that front office, you have to decipher what's real and what's not. Because like, while some of this stuff gets leaked to the media, some of that is to play the media and throw people off. Some of the other stuff though, is to throw off fellow GMs. Like that stuff is very real. I think for the Mavs though, to kind of, I think if they want to keep the pick, it would have to be somebody they value as like on their board if five or six fell down, I think. I don't think seven would necessarily cut it because seven's kind of mixed, right? Like with all due right. respect, like if Grady Dick fell down to 10 and I don't think that's even really a fall. I think he's honestly expected lower. I think they're not going to take him, right? If Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks somehow made it, you might see them keep the pick. But unless they get blown away with an offer with one of those guys available, I'd, I'd just be shocked if they did anything that isn't, you know, take one of those two. Otherwise, they're just moving it down. Right. So I'm going to start asking you, let's let's actually start talking prospects. And I think the reason that matters is kind of why I talked for, you know, 17 minutes straight just a second ago. Because the type of prospects that may or may not be available at 10 matters deeply to the teams that are going to be interested in moving up. So, you know, even if the Mavericks do not take somebody at 10, the value of 10 and the value of the prospects who may or may not be available at 10 directly corresponds to, you know, the moves that they can possibly make. Um, so you said, you said uh, Taylor Hendricks, um, you know, and you said, uh, who'd you say? Uh, Jairus Walker. Walker. Yeah. Jairus Walker. What are the chances? Are, are those the two players kind of that are right now projected in the five to nine range that you are, you know, just tell me about them. Just just tell me about those two yeah. and the odds that they're going to be available at 10. Yeah, they're very similar, played in the same conference. Uh, they were in a very contested, uh, I don't know how many people actually elected this, but they were in a very contested Amer uh, American Athletic Conference Rookie of the Year, Freshman of the Year, excuse me, campaign. T Taylor Hendricks ended up losing uh, despite having the most blocks of any player in the conference and not being labeled as that small ball five, which is interesting. And he also shot the three ball a lot better, but Jairus Walker was on Houston. So I think that was the ultimate tiebreaker. With Hendricks, it's a, I'll compare and contrast. His strength is shooting is a massive one, and he's a great defender. He can defend anywhere on the perimeter, anywhere in the mid-range, anywhere at the rim. He can help. He can play primary. He can do a lot. Jairus you're, Walker is are you very describing? Oh, oh, this is this is on Hendricks. It, it, yes. You're almost describing like a like small ball Jaron Jackson a little bit. 
Somewhere. Is that a is that a reasonable comp? Like smaller, but I I've always used it's such it's not really a comp because it's a sideways comp, but I guess. But I really like, imagine if you had, so I don't know if you remember, Robert Covington was a four-year player at Tennessee State. At his senior year, he did everything on the floor. He was a monster on defense. He actually passed, uh, which is a trade he had coming into the NBA, but it didn't scale up. The defense was there. Obviously, shooting was there. He was finishing at the rim. But in the NBA, he had to really scale himself down. Now, if you put that senior year version of Robert Covington and started him put that production and that ability in a 19 year old with one inch bigger. I think that's what you get with Taylor Hendricks is he, and if you remember in Houston, he was the small ball five. So there's a lot of similarities in that regard. That makes sense. That makes sense. But the chances of Taylor Hendricks being available at 10 seem slim and are decreasing with every passing day. Yeah. I, I, I just, I can't see a world there that he's there at 10. Okay. What about Jairus Walker? Yeah, so Jairus Walker, the big difference is really, I, I think they're both pretty similar on defense. You can make an argument either way of who's better. It's like 51-49, in my opinion, on one way. I, I lean Hendricks ever so slightly. But I think the difference that's going to scare some teams into having Hendricks go first, this is why I have Hendricks getting the tiebreaker, is he shot 34% from three and 66% from the line. If you look at guys who shot under 67% from the free throw line, there's very few players that end up being successful shooters in the league. That is a very telling indicator. Work ethic will go a long way. He might be able to defy the odds. It's just heavy, heavy odds stacked against him in that regard. Yeah, I think I, I can't tell you how many times on this podcast, I've you know, when, when I actually talk about prospects where I talk about, you know, free throw percentage is a, is a better indicator than uh, three point percentage when, when it comes to college. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's that's a, that's a concern. I mean, he's he's more of a would you call him more of a big man, Jairus Walker? You know, like he's a, you know, like a small ball, but he, he plays bigger, I think. <laughs> he's a bigger man, but yeah. <laughs> he's he's jacked and I think he has longer arms, but I think he profiles a little bit better as a small ball five because of the, he can handle mobility ever so slightly. You could maybe say more. I, I just, I think he's going to be a more effective rim protector and just shot deterrer i guess if if that's even the right word for it yeah yeah shot, yeah yeah shot deterrence is a is a meaningful thing yeah. you know like scaring people away from shooting layups not just blocking exactly. them when they get there yeah. and and that's the difference is taylor Hendricks. you know he's going to be more emphatic you're not going to want to go at him but at the same time jaris prevents people from coming to him more as a small ball five i think it, the odds can stack a little bit opposite when you look at if taylor Hendricks had a big behind him nobody's going near them too and, and probably the same for jairus i think just for Hendricks because he has more shot blocking ability i think that's that's really where it edges out for him do you think jairus is available at 10 like what, what are the odds i've seen some mocks go crazy and have him but the the top mocks it's i just i can't see him getting past uh utah i just i really can't even though they like it just same thing right like i just said if you had a crazy big Jairus Walker and Walker Kessler. I mean, the Walker bros, like that's, that's scary. Yeah. 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 Uh, Utah's at nine for, uh, for anybody who, who does not know the uh, draft order by hand, uh, which is also me. I have it open right now. So, <laughs> you know, that's the reason I know, um, you know, actually I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the, the ringers mock draft and uh, they do have case and Wallace, uh, you know, a kind of a combo guard um, point guard. I, th- I think he's case and Wallace is a full point guard, not, not a player that the Mavericks would be interested in. I don't think in any scenario, <laughs> Um, they have him going nine to Utah and they have Jairus Walker potentially going to the Mavs at 10. Um, again, we're not really weighing in. I think 
what this conversation is meant to be is like, what is the value of these players and what type of teams would look at these players and be like, oh man, I want that player because we do, you know, I think both of us and, and, you know, I've, I've said as much in, in conversations I've had, we think the, tra- the pick is going to be traded. Um, just theoretically, you know, how would, you know, how would you imagine Jairus Walker as a player fitting in, you know, if you were drafted by the Mavericks his first year? He would instantly make the defense that much better. Like it's a noticeable, like he's a free agent, a good free agent level acquisition better. Shooting may not, you know, be great but i mean let's be real the mavs have run so many lineups with non-shooting big men over the years and still made it very productive and a lot of those bigs aren't great defenders consistently jairus walker is and on top of that jairus connects the offense really well like he's a good passer i i think he would be tremendous uh, he's somebody i would jump utah at nine for to get interesting um do you have any realistic belief that Anthony Black is going to fall or Asar Thompson. Cam Whitmore, think, definitely not. You know, it, it could go any way because I don't think any, there's no consensus on those three. You've seen some have Anthony Black top six, top five. You've seen Cam Whitmore top five. You've seen Asar Thompson tw- top five. And I think because of that, somebody's going to slip. I mean, that's, there's five guys really in that five to 10, like, Somebody's got to be there. And especially if we don't know, somebody could reach and make a crazy reach somewhere and take like somebody who's not even seen as a top 10 guy if they will fall in love. But I think Anthony Black won't be there. Kind of the same thing with Utah at nine. They need a guard, high upside. I think he's the least likely. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say Star Thompson's the most likely. The, the thing that worries me with him, I, I have him as my 10th ranked prospect. I'm a little bit lower because of that uh, than the consensus on him. And it's because he's 20 years old. For reference, uh, Mike Miles, who plays at TCU, is 20 and is four months older than and he's a junior. So that kind of worries me. And then on top of that, the ball handling, like he's a great passer, but he is he doesn't put pressure on the rim. He picks up his dribble too early, things like that. And as a point guard, you can't be that. So I think he's a wing playmaker more than a point guard. And that's what a lot of people like about him. I've heard, you know, he's a better point guard than his brother, which just isn't true. So if you're looking for that point guard, Asar is not going to help the Mavs in a lot of ways, but and, and it's I think harder defense, to see him first year impacting, right? Like he feels right. like even though he's a little, even though he's older, he still feels like a development of player, which also worries you because he is older. Right. If you're trying to get somebody now, the only day one trait he really has is, I mean, finishing on lobs and transition, but also his defense is elite. I mean, I had an overtime elite coach tell me, you know, he's the best defender I've ever coached in person. So Forever that's good. Worth. And they do need that, you know. <laughs> we watched the Mavericks last year. That that is that is something <laughs> they're lacking. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. He he does not feel as ready made as Taylor Hendricks, um, as Anthony Black, as you know, Cam Whitmore. He does not feel, you know, even Jairus Walker, he does not feel like, you know, the type of player that Jason Kidd is going to trust with minutes, which really leads to, you know, why the Mavericks are very interested in, in trading this pick in the first place. Um, and, and there is a chance if none of the guards move up, you know, if if this this grouping of, you know, I think it starts with Case and Wallace, um, you know, but uh, I guess Leonard Miller, you know, more of a wing, but like Kobe Bufkin, uh, Nick Smith Jr. Like if none of these guards move up, there is a chance that all of these, you know, three and D wings with chances to be more Anthony Black, who's a little bit more of a proper guard. But, you know, if the Mavericks drafted him, I think could kind of fit you know, an off ball, you know, three scoring defender sort of thing. 
um, there is a chance that they're all gone in the five to nine range, especially if, if the, um, you know, Sar Thompson slips. Um, and I don't think that he doesn't look like the type of player that I think the Mavericks would be interested in at, at, at 10. Yeah, it's it's always hard to, with the Mavs because we just don't know what their true development process with some of these guys are. But in theory, I mean, all of them have true roles that could help day one, even if it's one minor area with long-term investment in a more well-rounded area. Yeah. Well, um, am I right to kind of say that, you know, once you get past this kind of grouping of taller guards, wings, small ball centers, that it is a bunch of guards who are kind of drafted in the, in the 10 to 13, 14 range. Um, obviously there is Grady Dick and, you know, I actually said on last week's pod, I don't think, you know, my understanding conversations I've had, he's not the profile of player that this front office is really looking at. Um, so, you know, let's just get past him. Uh, you know, what, what are these guards and how interesting, how would you rank them, uh, you know, both as prospects and, you know, you know, like, because I think that matters because of, you know, we can start looking at teams that might be looking to trade up for a guard, you know, how would, you know, how would they feel? But I want your, you know, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think for most of 10 through 14, or I guess really, yeah, 10, 11, 14, somewhere in that range, it's going to be mostly guards. But I think there's an outcome where 10, 11, 12 could all be non-guards actually, or non-primary guards, right? Like you said, Grady Dick is a candidate, uh, but probably not one for the Mavs. And I don't see him going top 10, uh, even though I do personally have a top 10 grade on him. I could see Leonard Miller being one of the risers. I mean, he he played well in the combine, uh, excuse me, tested well because he, he pulled out of the scrimmage. But he fits that Kawhi, that whole like the hand size, the length, the the actual height. He's somebody. And then Jordan Hawkins is right in that mix, too. And he's not a point guard, but he is a he's a wing. I mean, you could comp him a little bit to the lazy comp but you know there's shades of like buddy heels right where that's just great shot making from as a jump shooter all three of those guys could go next and they're none of them are true point guards how, how much is jordan hawk I, I don't know much about jordan hawkins yet uh how much is he you, you said he's a he's a shooter does he defend mm-hmm. it depends on who you ask i i go back and forth <laughs> it's inconsistent he he could be because he's quick and athletic he's still got to learn how to play defense consistently though yeah He's a, uh, but he's smaller. He's, you know, he's not Gertie Dick sized either. Right. Right. Yeah. He's, uh, he's about six, five. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm, I also like, as I start to look at some of these wing prospects, you know, who are not the one to 10 range that we've been discussing, I like a lot of them, but would you say broadly speaking, most of them are developmental guys, you know, like are not instant impact, uh, have questions, you know, might have high ceilings, but they come with low floors. And you're saying the six to 10? Oh, no, no, I'm saying past that. I'm, I'm oh, saying oh, I you know, the, the next, yeah, the next tier of of guys. When we're talking about, you know, Koulibaly, we're talking about right. uh, Leonard Miller, et cetera. Right. Okay, yeah, I actually think there's a, for. I think some of them are very high floor players, like Kobe Bufkin, for example. He's somebody who I think goes lottery. I think he's got one of the highest floors. He's also got a great upside because he's 19 years old with an elite floor. I think that could be, you know, somebody who rises. Jalen Hutchifino, I think, combo of both. I, I feel like I feel like there's a great combination of both. Leonard Miller could be one as well because of that size and defense and just rim running. But I think overall, that's where you get the blend, right? Where you might be able to get better value at 13 or 14 than you can at 10. Because at 10, you might have to reach for one of those guys. Reach, I say. It really depends 
on who you like the most. But if you can take somebody at 13, why would you not take them at 13 and get more picks or more assets, whatever it is, back for it, right? Right, right, right. You know, even even if it's moving on from, you know, Davis Bertrand's salary, although he's expiring, you know, the idea of trading Bertrand's, I think, is either into space for luxury tax reasons or it's for another veteran that, you know, the Mavericks are interested, they can contribute next year, you know, more meaningfully than uh, than, than Davis Bertans. Um, what do you think, and I, I have to ask, you know, Derek Lively, um, you know, just a, not a high ceiling guy, but like the type of center who is, very meaningful in the modern NBA, or at least projects to be, you know, just dunks and blocks and moves. Right. Did I yeah. summarize that? Well, yeah, I think so. He's, he's weird though, because how many guys average six and five with like two blocks in college and then come be day one contributors. Uh, like, like, I feel I mean, like I that's, could, I could do that easily. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like I could, I, I average zero, zero and zero in, in college, but you know, I'd easily slot into the math starting five right now today, but most people are not like me. And so you're right. Uh, there is, you know, legitimate concerns about Lively's ability to contribute now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might have to put you on my board, honestly. Now I didn't know you were, are you auto? I don't think I'm draft eligible, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you know um 77 minutes uh has exclusive rights you know so oh you're drafting yeah okay. anyway i uh <laughs> t- terrible jokes uh lively let's talk lively yeah so with lively though there there's a few things i think the passing there's unlocked there's there's untapped potential it's a little bit overstated i think because i think big men get over i think some of their assists get inflated because they're the ones running the handoffs right a handoff is the easiest thing like literally right. It takes no skill to to hand the ball off. It, so I, I take some of that with a grain of salt. But he has made uh, some nice Did you games. watch JaVale McGee last season? It True. takes a little bit of skill. True. True. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's not as easy as I made it out to be. You are correct. But anybody who like who has a strong feel for the game is going to be good at handoffs, right? It, it, it's not right. going to be like, oh, he made some advanced read by handing the ball off. So for me, that's a little bit overstated. What I like about him, though, is he had it really took him till January to click. He developed a lot in the season. He became a better rebounder. He became a great shot blocker. He took that step from like a good one who could do it sometimes camped out in the paint to truly being a translatable shot blocker. What worries me, though, the the big thing, like you said, he dunks everything, but his touch at the rim on the layups is poor, outright poor. Like that, that scares me. What's he going to do when? He can't just dunk over somebody, right? Where he's not bigger than somebody. You have to go around. He's going to struggle. And for me, I just think when you're trying for the Mavs, the whole point of Lively, you're not trying to get him for next year. You're trying to get him now as a free agent level acquisition for cheaper than free agency. He doesn't fit that. I just, I don't, I have a hard time seeing him really impacting the game, being a high level positive defender. Centers have a long time to adjust most of the time on defense. I think it's going to take a while especially at 10, I would not reach for him. Yeah. And especially at the, the salary spot, uh, spot of 10, you know, that that's the high range of like, that, that's the highest he could go. Like nobody is, you know, even 10 would be a bit of a reach. And if you're reaching for a player who you think, you know, maybe isn't even a contributor this season, but then you're paying him a higher salary slot starts to lose the effectiveness of that rookie contract. If you're not going to get the benefit on court benefit, uh, you know, until you get, uh, you know, a couple of years into that rookie deal. 
Um, that's a good point, you know, and also when you talk about the passing, yeah, yeah, players develop it, they, they develop feel for a game, you know, we talk about Kavon Looney's ability to do that, but it took him years to get there. Uh, so yeah, that's, you've, you know, I've been, again, I'm, I'm just now really sinking into draft prospects and learning, you know, deciding what I, what I feel about things. I've been interested in Lively, you've, uh, you've kind of talked to me out of it. Who, actually, okay, so I want to ask about one more player, and then I want to ask, about uh, I'm going to give you a chance to say any player that we haven't talked about that that you want to. Uh, Kulabali is really interesting. Bilal Kulabali, uh, he plays for Wimbenyama's team, um, but seems like a very very raw uh, rookie who maybe maybe not as raw as I think you know, but just as has could project as a lot of things uh, anywhere from like defensive player of the year to bust. <laughs> yeah, he's an intelligent guy. I mean, just. When you watch him on the court, it's really hard to find him making you, – you'll never see him make a boneheaded decision, right? You'll see him – he may take a second at times, but for the most part, he's consistently intelligent at the right time, at the right spots. He's a really good cutter. He moves well on defense. He's athletic. He's long. The shot, that's the big swing skill. That I think truly that's what's going to keep him in, in or out of the league. But, you know, at 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, he's listed at 6'6". Six, six. I think he's bigger. Free throw percentages seven, there. Wingspan. Yeah, exactly. I think he's yeah, going to be so because of that wingspan. He can play up in lineup, so that lack of shooting comes a little bit negated more and more as he moves up in lineup. So I think he's going to go lottery. I think he's going to be that shock guy this year. It feels like in a lot of drafts it happens. Why not him? He's young. I mean, he doesn't turn nineteen until after a month after the draft. Like summer league is done, and then he turns nineteen. So I think he could be somebody Dallas targets. The athletic asked us to do a mock draft um, after the lottery. And I already admitted that I'm not, you know, I haven't been, uh, you know, grinding the film, but uh, he's the guy I selected, you know, not, not, you know, maybe a little bit because of the, you know, maps love Europeans, et cetera, but he's interesting. He's interesting. Um, anybody we did not really focus on that you think is worth bringing up, uh, you know, somebody who could maybe go 10 or, or, you know, maybe other teams would be interested in taking a 10. I I think I, I think there's more intrigue for me if the Mavs trade back because there's so many different guys that I I would love if they got to the 17 spot. I don't think they can make a wrong decision. Like that's where like 15 to 17. Is so really so let me ask you this. My final question was actually going to be, what's your dream scenario? What's your dream scenario for the Mavs number 10 pick? So it sounds like it's trading down. <laughs> yep. Um, either let's say either getting off salary or getting a veteran back or, you know, this is a dream scenario. So let's say they they're able to trade down 10 to 17 and they trade 10 yeah. to 17 and they trade Davis's salary for a more useful veteran, not somebody amazing, but you know, more of a rotation player than Davis. And that's the cost of, you know, trading down seven slots. Yeah. Does so maybe scenarios sound okay up to this point. Yeah. I mean, maybe even six at this point, because the Lakers would be 17. I chose a terrible number on that. <laughs> okay. 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 So 16, 16. Let's go with that. Okay. 16. Yep. Who do they draft there? Dream scenario. My dream scenario. I, I'd love to see Kobe Bufkin there. I think in enough mocks, he's there. I would also love to take a chance. I, I think this is where you go on somebody who has an elite skill with, of upside, right? So I'd say Jordan Hawkins could be that shooter. He really opens up the offense. You can swing on the defense coming around. 
You could also go and get Jalen Hood Shafino from Indiana. I think he's got great upside as a point guard. All the percentages indicate that his shooting is going to be good. It's a win, not if. He's a dynamic point guard at 6'6". He can hit floaters, both hands, smooth operator in the pick and roll. I think one of those and defender two would be- too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the Mavs, I, I really think the Mavs will be drafting a defender. Um, and they'll shy away from point guards, yep. but a 6'6 point guard who defends, that you can kind of see, right? Yeah, yeah. And then one other guy, I mean, just to put in that mix, if it's not a guard, Mox are really behind on this guy. I talk, a lot of people were saying this is a guy who Mox just, there's a big disconnect, and that's Noah Clowney. He he struggles on the perimeter, but I've heard the 16 to 20 range is probably a hot spot for him. I could see him as, as one of those guys. I think he's more ready than Derek Lively, and his shot is ready too. Like He took a lot of threes this year for somebody who, I mean, he struggled a little bit, but teams still had to guard him out there. I would love to see Noah Clowney. He struggles again on the perimeter, guarding guys on switches. He's a little bit slow-footed, but... You live with it because he can protect the rim really well. He has a great feel for the game, and the jump shot looks real. And Cody Zeller is getting postseason minutes and is about to go to the finals. Like, 20 minutes for a mid-first-rounder who is not bam out of bio in terms of switchability. You still need centers like that. They might not be the starting 30-minute-plus guy. You still need centers like that. You really do in the modern NBA. Um, You name, like, Three, four names. I said dream scenario. You got to pick one. Pick one player. We, we, we've we've kind of done the, the dream scenario up to this point. Mavs are getting a veteran back. They're shipping out Davis. They're moving down. Which player? I think I'm taking Noah Clowney. He helps right away. The upside's Ooh. there. I think I'm going him. He was the late addition. The mystery player. The Mavs finally get their Cody Zeller. Yeah. I've it's, been preaching for, for years. <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and they're cured. They're fixed now. You know, that's uh, that's all it took. You know, all of a sudden they're, they're going to the finals next year. So we we solved you and me, Richard. We solved the Mavericks. <laughs> we we fixed the Mavs. That's it. We closed it. <laughs> that's all it took. That's all it took. Anyway, I really appreciate you hopping on. Um, we'll uh, we might have to even do this again soon. You know, if, if you're if you're down a little bit before the draft. Oh, my arm. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, man. I uh, like I said, I'm I'm uh I'm getting into the draft, but I'm, I'm never going to pretend I'm an expert. And so that's why I uh, really appreciate you hopping on. Listeners, uh, thank you for listening. It's what you do best. We'll see ya. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future. Here comes Luca. Even losses feel like wins. Win. It's in heaven.